Teaching Channel Talks, you're in the right place to continue the conversation I'm having with Keely Keller and Shannon Rice. We're exploring the benefits of proactive, positive behavior strategies. So we're thinking about the benefits of proactivity, both for the classroom and for students. But I also want to think a little bit about what about when things go wrong? Yeah, so when things go wrong, there's an opportunity, and, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but um, when we talk about PBIS, there's a three-tiered system. And so um, when things go wrong, typically you've already taught the expectations to everybody, right? And you're noticing, hmm, that student is still continuing to um, do their morning work over in the corner versus at their desk where everyone else is or whatever it might be. Um, and so you really need to kind of think through or customize for the individual learner. This is an opportunity to kind of look at the fact that all students coming in with, with behavior are unique. They're all different. They have varying strengths. They, they may need a different plan. Um, and so, you know, we talk about doing interventions right in the classroom and seeing if we can maybe pre-teach or reteach depending upon the student's need. Um, they may need intervention. They may need something even more in depth, like a functional behavioral assessment and a, and a behavior intervention plan, too. So it is important to just kind of keep tabs on what have I taught, who's understanding it, who's needing a little bit of extra support, and who's maybe needing quite a lot of extra support um, to keep an eye on those things. Shannon, what do you think when things go wrong? You know, some of the types of things are important to think about knowing your student and looking at what do I know about them as an individual? What types of interventions might be really valuable for them? Am I looking at something that might be, um, do I have small group interventions? Am I looking at individual interventions? And utilizing some of those different types of pieces. Because we have to remember, just because we're looking at teaching behavior doesn't mean we let good teaching go out the window. Good teaching is good teaching is good teaching, whether we're talking about academic skills or behavioral skills, because these are still skills and our same systems are going to follow us. We think about what is our data telling us? We plan, we go through instruction, we go through assessment, we follow that same cycle and we think about what are the missing skills and how are we going to follow that skill gap? And if we put our mindset in that realm, rather than thinking about behavior as something completely separate, that really brings it back to where we are. And we also have to remember to not take it personally, even though it can really be difficult to take that and, and separate yourself, is think about what skills are the students missing and what are they communicating to you? We talked in the beginning that behavior is communication. What are students missing? And that we really have to think about that from an intervention standpoint student isn't giving you a hard time, they're having a hard time. Nice distinction. We knew when we were preparing the webinar that some of our conversation would be a, a refresher, a reminder, sort of a, a recalibration of how we want to come into the school year. We also knew that we would be able to offer some specific strategies and approaches that may be new to, to some of us. So I want to shift us a little bit and talk about the particular characteristics of positive behavior supports. So let's shift ourselves there. What, what is optimal when we talk about positive behavior support? What's, what does the ideal look like? Let's go, let's go all in. 
So I'll jump in here, Shannon, feel free to, to take over as you see or add on. Um, so positive behavior supports really should be taught school-wide. Um, there should be a PBI, PBIS system in place in schools because that provides a common language, not only for the students, but also for the staff. It helps with implementation of expectations, um, and it helps when different staff maybe need to talk to the same student. The student is hearing the same thing because there's common language that the, the teachers have decided upon as it come, as it relates to language. Um, and I know Shannon will talk about this, but it is part of the instructional process. So when kids come in at the beginning of the year or maybe after winter break, um, it's an appropriate time to teach them the expected behaviors in all different locations. And you wanna think about what does behavior need to look like in the cafeteria? What does it need to look like in the gymnasium? What does it need to look like in the hallway or even at drop off and pick up? And then of course, what does it need to look like in the classroom? Absolutely. And, you know, to add to some of those pieces, to make sure that we are using language that is clear, that it is understood by our students, and that it is observable, it is something that is not ambiguous to kids, that we're using language that is not going to be interpreted differently. Oftentimes, we see language that could be interpreted differently depending on who we're talking to. Um, it's really common to say to a student, let's act respectfully. Well, that means something very different to different people. We need to say, what does this look like? What does it mean to be prepared for class? Well, maybe in one classroom, it looks very different than it does in another space. Instead, we need to define this. We need to make it concrete for students, exactly what should it look like. And everyone needs to be on the same page with this. Students need to know what's expected. Every adult needs to know what's expected. These expectations need to be posted for students. We should be able to refer to them so that everyone knows in every space what is expected at all times. And it's not just the classroom that should have expectations. We're talking about hallways. We're talking about bathrooms. We're talking about the bus, uh, the cafeteria all spaces within a school, students should know and be taught what the expectation is. Not told, but taught. And there is a difference there. This is great. We've got some specific examples coming in. I think, I think maybe we'll get to address some of these uh, behaviors in how we talk about the characteristics. HR asked, what if a student's trying to be funny? Keely, maybe you can take this because we already talked a little bit about how behavior is communication and uh, maybe conveying a need for something here. Yeah, so I think the, the first thing to look at is how severe is the behavior? You know, is it is it just a funny thing and then everybody laughs and then we're good and back into the instruction and the learning? Um, because we want our classrooms to be safe and fun and positive, right? So I think that's, that's okay. Now, if it becomes a repeated behavior, there's a pattern of behavior, um, and you're able to identify the function of the behavior. So let's just say it's attention seeking. Then you might start to think about what can I do to give the student the attention they need from peers before maybe instruction starts, or maybe it's spending five minutes with the student at the beginning of the class period so that they get the attention that they're seeking from you before you move into instruction. So that's how I usually break down behavior, not necessarily by 
what the student is doing, but maybe why they are doing it and how we can get in front of that behavior again with proactivity. And Shannon, I, you all have had no warnings for these questions, so I just appreciate your professionalism and fielding them. Maria asked what to do when you have an impulsive student, just some impulse control. Can you, can you offer a recommendation there? Well, I think we all have those impulsive students because that's just the name of the game when we're talking about young people. Um, and one of the things is we have to find ways to teach students about their impulsivity and that that's just part of who they are and find avenues for them. Maybe that me might mean a student who has some physical impulsivity might need something to do with their hands. Maybe they need something to move, maybe a piece of Velcro under their desk that they can rub with their fingers to have a little bit of tactile input or a band on their chair that they can kick with their feet so they have a little bit of continual motion. Maybe they need an opportunity to have some verbal sharing with someone because they continue to blurt regularly. Maybe they need a um, nonverbal connection with a teacher where if they're ready to say something, they need a little bit of a uh, visual cue with someone. It's going to have to be what you know about your students. And part of that's going to be those relationships that we'll talk about in a little bit is knowing your students. Remember, you're the teacher, you know your kids. And that's going to be a real key. And I use kids, they can be adults too, but you know your students. And that's going to be a real key to the intervention. Sada commented in the chat, it's like, are, are some of these answers going to be, it depends, and it, often it does. Let's take a look at some of the specific characteristics across the three tiers. Yeah, so, you know, this is really bringing the RTI triangle back <laughs> again. Um, so if you imagine positive behavior intervention support um, in that RTI triangle, um, that first part, tier one, really is teaching the whole class. And so that's what we're talking about with school-wide expectations that are posted. Teachers are using common language. Everyone gets instruction. Uh, maybe the principal goes to every class and he teaches the kids how to walk in the hallway. You know, there's, there's multiple things that you can do, but all the students are getting the same instruction. And you know that instruction is going well if at least 80% of the students are able to do the thing that you've taught them to do. But there is going to be some students who need additional support, whether that be small group, um, which is typically tier two, or intensive one-on-one -on -one intervention, which is typically tier three. Um, and tier two and three are kind of, if you think about them as the extra scoop, they're an extra scoop of instruction. So everybody gets tier one, and those kids that need tier two and tier three get it on top of the core instruction that they're already getting. Um, and regardless of which tier you're teaching in, whether you're teaching a full class or a small group or an individual, um, and whether you're teaching academics or behavior or social skills or emotional regulation, you're still going to teach the thing explicitly. You're going to model it. You're going to provide practice for them and feedback and then some independent practice as well. And so, as Shannon said, good teaching is good teaching is good teaching. And so it happens whether you're in a full class, small group, or individual. Shannon, you talk the talk and you walk the walk as a current practicing in-classroom educator. What do some of these various interventions look like? How specific can you get for us today? 
And so the first thing I hear when I hear about interventions, oh my, when am I going to do yet more things? And the first thing to think about is we do so many of these already and we're not talking about, oh my gosh, I have to plan another 30 minute small group intervention lesson for these. These can be sometimes very small things that many of us are actually doing already. This might be, wow, my class had a tough time coming back from the cafeteria today. We need to revisit that chart we made at the beginning of the year on how do we walk in the hallway? What are our expectations? Maybe that's a full class lesson we need to have to go back and just refresh our expectations because it's been a while and we need to go back to that. Maybe it's, you know, I have a small group that had a difficult time today when we did our small group work during our science investigation. They had some difficulty with communication as a group. Maybe I need to have just a few minutes at the very end of class when everyone else is going through their homework assignment and getting started on that. I need to just have a little pull aside with a small group and say, hey, guys, I noticed we had some struggles today. Can we chat just a little bit? What could we do a little bit differently next time? What do you notice? How can I help? What support can I give you? Okay, I'm going to check in after our next investigation, see if this is going a little better. Maybe we need to make some other changes. Maybe I need to change up group a little bit next time. Maybe I need to have a one-on-one -on -one chat with a student who I notice is just not engaged in their lesson today. They're not participating. They're not meeting those expectations. I need to have a pull aside with that student. Or maybe that student needs a connection with another specialist in the school. I notice the student is really struggling emotionally. Maybe I need to connect with a school counselor or another specialist. Maybe I need to pull in a team member and say, hey, I notice someone's struggling. Do you notice this as well? What's going on with them in your class? Is there something we can do together? These are things that we're already doing. We're reaching out to others within our teams. So these are already interventions we can do. Maybe it's working one-on-one -on -one with a student. I need to give you that little nonverbal signal, raise your hand before calling out. These three kids, I need to put a sticky note on their desk that says, wait before the end of the class period, because I'm going to give you two more minutes before I dismiss you so that you're not racing down the hall trying to be the first one in the lunch line. It's going to be those little tiny things. These are not long drawn out interventions. Sometimes it's just a little bit of extra practice. Thank you for joining me for this episode, an excerpt from a recent webinar, School Year Success, Strategies to Instill Positive Behavior in the Classroom. You can find the links to the things that Shannon and Keely and I talked about in the show notes below or at teachingchannel.com slash podcast. Leave us a rating and review on whatever podcast listening app you use. It will help more educators to find us. See you soon with another episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you.